Hello and welcome to the Midweeks with Pastor Rob. Uh, today's turning point is called the New Europe. I'm borrowing this information from the Turning Points book by Mark Knoll. It's a book I really enjoy. And uh, if you want to hear these the same points, but with more information by a real scholar, you're welcome to uh, get that book either from Amazon, through the mail, or just by download. Uh, if you don't have a Kindle, I've actually really enjoyed mine. Anyhow, uh, this week's turning point is called The New Europe, and it's about the changes that took place during the same time that uh, Martin Luther's life was happening, and really the spread of Protestantism across Europe and the impact there. So last week we talked about the life of Martin Luther and how he kind of um, launched the Reformation in his, uh, with his theology and his action and his preaching. And um, so this week we're going to just be looking at how uh, events quickly came together to really change the face of Europe. And Europe is the stronghold for Christianity at this time. Of course, there were Christians in Russia, there were Christians in the Middle East, but Europe was really the center of um, the Christian world and uh, really dominated by the Catholic Church. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but just, you know, uh, Christendom was in effect throughout all of Europe. And so things began to change really quickly through Europe. And what happened was that the Protestantism, so this idea of um, disconnecting from the Catholic Church, originally it was meant to be a Reformation and there was hope of reconnecting, but in, in time it's, it became apparent that that would not happen. Protestantism, this clinging to the scriptures, this clinging to the Bible as the highest authority, spread and heavily influenced Germany and the Netherlands and um, England and made some inroads into France, so it never completely took over. And so it really changed the face of Europe. And as the book um, starts, it talks about in England, the act of supremacy. And so what was going on in England was um, while Pro- Protestant thought and theology was kind of becoming more and more of a, a thing in England, uh, Henry VIII was having um, a blowout with the Pope. Um, he had married Catherine of Aragorn, I think her name was, and he didn't have any sons by her and what wanted to marry his mistress, Anne Boleyn, who was pregnant and he was hoping with a son. And so he wanted to divorce his first wife and marry Anne Boleyn in order to have a legitimate heir to the throne. He was very obsessed with having a legitimate heir to the throne. He never actually had any sons who that survived uh, infancy, even though he had... Um, six wives throughout his life in this kind of attempt to have a male offspring. And it was actually Anne Boleyn's daughter who would become the famous Queen Elizabeth I. But that's a little side note. During this time, um, Henry was looking for a way to have his marriage recognized, and the Pope was saying that he wouldn't do it. And so what happened was uh, Henry kind of teamed up with uh, some of the more Protestant influences in the country and just said, look, um, if the Pope won't do it as the head of the church, what we'll do is we'll make the king 
the head of the English church. And um, if the English church decides that the divorce and remarriage is fine, then who's going to dispute with it? He's the head of the Church of England. And so they, the government teamed up with the king, teamed up with some Protestant parts of the church, and produced this act of supremacy was called that declared the king of England the king of the Church of England, or the head of the Church of England, the defender of the faith, and so, and the highest kind of authority over the church. And as far as I understand, more or less, that's still in effect. So that Queen Elizabeth II, our current sovereign, is the head of the Church of England and the defender of the faith of the realms. And so, um, this happened, and it was part of a real Protestantizing of England. Now, the Catholic Church never disappeared and is still there. And there were other Protestant streams of uh, church life besides the Anglican church. And the Anglican church has always kind of been a mashup between Catholicism and Protestantism together. So um, it's, it's its own unique thing. But that's part of what the story is here. The Europe fragmented into different streams or different kinds of Protestantism, or it held firm to um, its Catholic influence or Catholic faith in places like Spain or France, Portugal. And so what you had is the some of the centers of um, Catholic, or sorry, Protestant teaching would be Calvin in Geneva, and you had Zwingli in Switzerland, and Melanchthon, who continued on after Luther, I think, in uh, Germany, and then also in the Netherlands. Um, they, these these different influential centers were each kind of producing their own distinct kind of Protestantism. Now, if you remember from last week, that's what the bishop who was interviewing Luther said was going to happen. If you um, keep going on with your teaching, we're just going to have everybody interpreting the Bible for themselves, and it's going to lead to massive fragmentation. And that is kind of what happened. There was lots of agreement, number one, that the Catholic Church was wrong and needed to reform, and number two, that the Scriptures were going to be the authority for faith and life. And after that, there were some major differences. So, for instance, uh, Luther um, held to this uh, theology called constant or sorry, I've got a cold, consubstantiation where the when you're having communion, the bits actually become, the, the bread and the wine actually become Christ in some sense. And uh, Zwingli on the other hand just said, no, it's there's nothing supernatural about it. It's just a memorial. And so there were these ongoing differences of church life. Um, now that I remember it, you know, there's also in Scotland... Um, a great reformer named John Knox, who also brought some Protestantism to that as well. And uh, so the whole point is that things were really changing in Europe through this. Now, there were other factors as well that included this. A couple hundred years before the Reformation, the Black Death hit Europe. And, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of people die. Uh, There's one record of a town that had like five mayors in one year because the mayors just kept dying of the Black Death. And entire towns would get wiped out. And so 200 years later, you're having this big population growth and explosion that's kind of filling in all these spaces that were left by this massive plague that went through Europe. You're also seeing um, a lot of money being used replacing kind of a barter system. So um, in the feudal times, um, you would just have serfs who lived on the land and kind of royalty that was supported by the serfs in in, in payment for kind of a 
physical protection. So the Lord would be the police and they would go and kill any brigands or marauders that would threaten the farmers. And in return, the farmers would just give these guys food and support them. And you saw a lot of money um, replacing kind of this just trading and bartering goods happening, which created a bit of a middle class and it took away power from many of the just centers that would gather money, such as um, the Pope. And you saw also just um, Europe being changed from just having lots of little nobilities, lots of little nobles over little areas to uh, entire regions being dominated by like one kingly household like Henry VIII of England, for instance. And so there were lots of political changes as um, one or two households had become very dominant in a region as the royalty, lots of economic changes as money made it easier for a middle class to arise and people to not be peasants anymore and to become other things. Um, you also saw lots of money coming in to Europe through things like um, travel to the new world. So during this time, Columbus was sent out from Spain, I think it was, or Portugal, I can't remember, to go and explore the new world. And eventually he did that and brought lots of gold back from South America, Central America to Spain and Portugal, which really increased their um, their power over against even the popes. And so there's so much change going on in this time and this really led to a lot of what we see today. Um, the the <clears throat> sorry, sorry, what they say is the modern nation state. So the idea that you know France, for instance, is a border, a chunk of land surrounded by a border, whether it's with another nation or the ocean. That that has to do with the modern nation state. They would say there was a king ruling over this chunk of land, and beforehand, you know, the power really resided in cities. So it would be kind of like you know. Um, Rome would dominate other cities like uh, Athens or something like that. But now we have these borders drawn up under one ruler who lives a lot more just over people who are using money to change hands, which made it them more independent and made it possible for local rulers to reject Catholicism and support Protestant um, changes in their territory, in their kingdoms, in their countries, over and against the Pope. Um, part of also all the craziness that was happening there was that the, the papacy had suffered for like three generations of these popes who were way more interested in being warlords, which sounds crazy, but it's true, extending their influence by battle and not being spiritual heads. And there was this one pope, I can't remember what his name was, and that's fine, who um, spent a lot of his time um, trying to find position and influence for his illegitimate children. Now, the pope is supposed to be celibate and not have illegitimate children, but every, it was kind of like an out, uh, an open secret that everybody knew that this guy was his kid and that guy was his kid and that they, they were maneuvering for influence and prestige for their illegitimate children, which is just crazy. So that's part of how um, all this this kind of distancing from the papacy. Now, that, that did change pretty quick, I think, during the, the Protestant time as the Catholic Church, um, which many people had wanted to see uh, renewal come to, or all of a sudden had this huge reason to reform themselves, renew themselves, and this is what we're going to be talking about next time we do Turning Points, was really the, the anti-Protestant Catholic movement, the Catholic 
Catholic renewal that happened right around this same time as the Protestant world was coming to birth. So um, kind of a crazy season with lots of political, economic, and social changes happening all at the same time. But this really did lay the groundwork for what we see today in modern Europe of all these separate countries with their own um, kind of their own cultures, their own ideas of how to do religion, and, um, and really birthing the world that we live in with separation of church and state and stuff like that. So the new Europe turning point of Christian history. Be blessed.